Buddy here today, if you're visiting with us, a special welcome to you. I am Pastor Mike, and lead pastor here at Church of Hope. We're just excited that you have chosen to worship together with us. Community groups is a great opportunity for us to come together. And so I encourage you, if you have not plugged into one yet, um, talk to an elder. Um, talk to staff, and we'll make sure that you get the information. Three different locations are going to be meeting. Actually, one is going to be... At 5 o'clock, that one's going to be in the Zimmerman area. This is the first time in quite a while that we've actually had one that's a little later on in the day. And sometimes that works out better with uh, young families if, if their children need a nap. And so it kind of gives them that opportunity. Or if you as a parent need a nap. Right, Steve? Right? But your group isn't doing that. So, But anyways, if you need that, um, you have that opportunity uh, to do that, or if you're living in that area, and it's actually been really exciting seeing the signups for that group. Uh, it's actually quite large, so I'm excited about that as people are plugging into this. Okay? Uh, another thing that I just want to bring to our attention here right off the get-go is because this might be a common slide, hopefully not too terribly common, but a little bit of a common slide. We're going to do a parenting and paging system. Can you throw that on? Now, if you're number one right now, that does not mean that your child needs you right now. We're just using that as an example. Okay? But um, as our children ministry just continues to grow, we praise God for that. Isn't that awesome? What God continues to do and bring in new families and so on that have young ones. And like Tim was just saying, we want to get them the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it could happen from time to time that they need some parental attention. And so... You may see something like that with the number that would be on the ticket that you received um, when you checked your kid in. So don't worry about that. There's no shaming in any of this. It's just saying your child needs your attention. So anytime that you may see this slide show up, um, check your number and see if that's you. And uh, and then and you can go attend to your child during that time. That sound good? We're just starting this sit out, so we just want to let everybody know. Don't be surprised if you see this. No big deal. Somebody's child just needs them at that time. All right. We are beginning a series right now called The Gospel in Numbers. The Gospel in Numbers. And we're going to start today, part one, we're titling this The Example. The Example. Now here at Church of Hope, we seek to dive into the Word. And not just some of the Word. We want to teach the whole counsel of God. So as we do that, we believe this about Scripture, and if you've been around here any amount of time, you've heard this before. If you're new, this will be good for you. Um, we believe the Bible is one story from Genesis to Revelation. It's a revelation to us of who God is and what He has done to redeem a people for Himself from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation for His glory forever. You have that memorized yet? Okay. But, but this is so important because a lot of times we think in our minds, and this is where a lot of people get confused when they open up the scripture and they don't see it through this lens, that this is all one story. It's not just a bunch of random stories about some you know, kind of cool things that God did in the Old Testament that don't relate to anything within the New Testament. Not at all. You and I need to begin studying the Word of God this way, and I... And I can confidently say as you study the Word of God through the lens of the Gospel, through the lens of looking for Christ, how is Christ shown here even in the Old Testament, uh, your heart is going to be overwhelmed. You're going to see things that you never saw before and this is what we want to do here. So we want to go into the Old Testament. Keeping that in mind, it's all one story. 
How is this foreshadowing Christ? We ask those kinds of questions. How is this illuminating the gospel? How is this fitting into the plan of God's redemption for a people called to himself from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation for his glory forever? What does this passage of scripture tell us about God? It revealed, we just got done doing a series called The Praises After the Victory. And one of the, the main things that we're looking at is God wants to reveal himself to us. He's not just giving us five steps to a better life. God wants to reveal himself to us through his word. How do we, the greatest way that you and I can, can continue to grow in our understanding and in our relationship with God himself is to continue to dive into his word and ask questions. What does this reveal to me about God? What does God want me to know about himself through these passages of scripture? So we do that. So we're titling it, The Gospel in Numbers. The first time the gospel is preached, those of you guys who are doing the servant leadership class right now will know this. We talked about this two weeks ago, right? First time the gospel is preached. Anybody want to take a stab at it? All the way back to Genesis. Anybody remember the reference? Ooh, you didn't know we are going to be quiz this morning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Right? First time. And it was by God himself. And he told Satan, this is right after the fall. Right after the fall. And he's giving the curse to, he gave the curse to, to man, he gave the curse to woman, what were going to be the consequences of their rebellion against God, and he gives the curse to Satan, and he says, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. God already had a plan set in place. The gospel is not plan B for God, by the way. The gospel is plan A. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. It didn't surprise him. And his plan gets set in motion. And so here, as we go through numbers, there's no doubt we're going to see foreshadowings of Christ. We're going to see things in relation to the gospel that are going to continue to show us Christ is the fulfillment of these things. Things that they were required to do, Christ being the fulfillment of them. And watch how things start to make sense when we look at them through the lens of the gospel. So number one in your handout here today, that you should have received when you came in here, is introduction. Introduction. Let's just do a little, little background. Numbers is part of what is called the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch are the first five books of the Old Testament that is written by Moses. This is the fourth out of the five. It is given it's English name that we have numbers because of the census that was taken. You'll see it in verses 1 through 4. And also they did another census that is counting and arranging and giving laws to the tribes of Israel. Numbers tells of Israel's journey from Mount Sinai to the borders of the promised land. It summarizes about 40 years of the nation's history. Just a little background leading up to the book of Numbers. Give us a little bit of history. This is what had happened up to this point. God had brought these people out of Egypt. God made a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. They rebelled against that covenant as we see happening over and over and over again. But God had graciously provided Israel to live near His holy presence as he institutes the tabernacle, a sign that God desires to dwell with his people. Think about this for a moment. 
when the when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he desired to be have a people that were his people, set apart for his purposes, that he could dwell among them, that they would be under his rule and under his authority, that he could put his gospel on display with. Man fell. Sin separates man from God. And like Ruzik talked about two weeks ago, God graciously take, puts them out of the garden so that they would not eat of the tree of life and be continually in that situation for all time without any salvation. It is the mercy and the grace of God that kicks them out of the garden and provides redemption for them of what we were just celebrating this morning. This highlights this redemption that God put in place. And he says, now do this in remembrance of what I've accomplished. Do this in remembrance. And also do it with the knowledge that I'm coming back again. He says, I'm not, Jesus himself said, I'm not going to partake of it again until you're with me in my kingdom. So it is a looking back. It is also a looking forward to our final salvation. When we are with him, when we see him face to face. Oh, if you're part of the people of God, you have so much to look forward to, don't you? Amen. And so the tabernacle was established. God dwelling with his people, a place. Now, obviously, we know that there was only certain ones who were allowed to go into that presence and begin to receive the messages from the Lord and begin to relay them to the people and, and go-betweens. High priests going between God and the people because they needed a mediator. What do you think that is signifying? What do you think that is foreshadowing here today? What is Hebrews, who does Hebrews tell us our great high priest is now so that we no longer need somebody to go in between us and God? Jesus Christ is that high priest, he fulfilled that aspect of what we have represented within the Old Testament. I could spend all morning just highlighting all of these things, but we're going to look at these things as we go through the book of Numbers. So he instituted these priests, this desire of God graciously saying, I'm going to make a way possible that I may dwell among the people. And so we see that happening. The book begins as Israel wraps up one year stay at Mount Sinai. They head out from the wilderness on their way to the promised land that God had promised to Abraham. Here's the basic storyline. We're not going to necessarily look at any passage. Actually, in the community group, we will. We're going to look at a passage in the book of Numbers. But today, I'm actually, you might find this weird, but I'm actually going to spend the time teaching directly from the Word in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But right now, I just want to give us a basic outline of how the book of Numbers is laid out. The basic storyline of the book of Numbers, chapters 1 through 10, they're at Mount Sinai. Here they are instructed to take a census where the people are numbered and covers laws about how the tribes are to be arranged within their camps. The tabernacle was to be, this is so significant, the tabernacle was to be at the center with the priests and the Levites around that. And then the 12 tribes arranged with Judah at their head. That's significant. Because Jesus came from, uh, he was known as what? The Lion of the tribe of Helpian Church. Judah. All these things are significant. You will notice this was all arranged with God's presence being at the center of their entire existence. 
So much so that they would put their tents towards the tabernacle, their openings towards the temple, the tabernacle, that which represented the presence of God. This was the aim. This was the focus. So this was followed by a development of the purity laws from Leviticus. If God was going to dwell among them, every effort should be made to keep the camp pure. A place that welcomes God's holiness. I think often about a quote by a preacher by the name of uh, Paul Washer, who says, I'm all for being seeker friendly. And knowing some of Paul Washer's teachings that took me off guard, I'm like, Paul Washer, I've never heard you preach a message on being a seeker friendly church. But he said, here's what he said. He went on to say, and that made sense. He says, we've got the seeker wrong though. We all think we should be doing everything. And this is the common, this is the common trend of the American church. We all think, what do people want? And let's give them now what they want. That's the, that's the seeker friendly movement. What are people into? What do they like? And we'll kind of give them a little taste of that so that they can hopefully come in and maybe we'll get the gospel in there somehow. And, and maybe they'll be saved. That's in a nutshell. That's the modern American church approach to growing churches. Okay? So focused on taking surveys, going out there and figuring out what do people want, right? Seeker friendly. Okay? Here's what Paul Washer said We've got the seeker wrong. The seeker is God. And we should be doing everything to make sure he's happy. The priority of the people of God is to figure out what does God want and do everything according to that. It's like my dad said, when God's happy, the people of God are happy. Why? Because he's the designer. He knows that which is going to fulfill the longings of people's hearts. Those that want to have nothing to do with God and are anti-God, unless their hearts are awakened to the truth, they're never going to come to that place. No matter what your efforts are that you're putting out there, that you're hoping that they'll buy into. I can't remember. I was having this conversation just last week. It might be with somebody right here in this room. I'm sorry. I'm, I can't remember this. But it said, what you win them with, you have to keep them with. So win them with God. And God does a pretty good job of keeping. Would you, wouldn't you say that? But if you have to win them with gimmicks, and you win them with all these tricks, Guess what, friends? It's what you got to keep them with. You got to keep it company. You got to keep the entertainment company. Right? But I don't know about you, but I'm a firm believer that God is enough. Amen? God is enough to draw people to Himself. God is attractive enough to meet every single place that people are at and accomplish His purposes within their lives. And so, this was the price, and this is what you see throughout church history. This is what you see happening in the Old Testament. These people were preoccupied with, what does God want? What is He like? What's going to make Him happy? That's what we need to do. And you see it even within the New Testament. They came, the Holy Spirit descended upon them in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak. The words of God to these people. And even if you look at the messages, there wasn't anything of what we would consider seeker friendly. Of what we have termed seeker friendly terms. This wasn't the concern. It wasn't the all concept of the, of the early church. They knew they had a message to preach. 
and they knew that God was, was the one who was going to do the work in people's hearts to transform them. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't have to compromise. It's happening all around us. More and more preachers are, are continuing to compromise. I'll be honest with you, preachers that I never thought would that are getting really wishy-washy, even in relation to transgenderism and homosexuality. It's scary. The, the deception that is out there in our day, and we can't go along with that. We need to continue to stand upon the truth. And that is, no matter where you're at, you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus Christ will forgive you of all of your sins if you come to Him humbly and you repent and you take God's side against yourself. And you repent and you cry out to Him for mercy. Oh, His, His word is so clear. Whoever comes to me, I'll never turn away. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. He's not affirming anybody in anything. He's saying that's the point of the gospel. You need to repent. You need to turn. The direction you're heading right now is leading to destruction. It doesn't matter what's popular in our culture. It doesn't matter the trends and all of these things. Listen, this and this alone is going to stand the test of time. And if you're not anchored in here, you're going to fall away. And that's just the first nine chapters. Chapters 10 through 12 is their journey to the wilderness of Paran. They no longer leave Mount Sinai that people start complaining about being hungry and thirsty and wanting to go back to Egypt. Oh, can we just go back? You want to talk about compromise? Even Aaron and Miriam, Moses' brother and sister, begin opposing him. Chapters 13 through 19 is them in Paran. This is about halfway to the promised land. This is where Moses sends out, you'll remember the 12 spies that got out the promised land. 10 come back saying there's no chance. Saying it'll work. Two come back with a report that it's a good land and they should take it immediately. Anyone remember who that was? Who are the two? Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. The other 10 begin to get the rest of the people stirred up to appoint a new leader and head back to Egypt. That was their game plan. Of the ten who said, this is never going to work. They are scary out there. Terrifying. But God is not cool with this. But Moses intercedes for them. Again, Moses being an intercessor. One who would stand in the gap on behalf of the, of the people. Being a type of Christ. Shown in the Old Testament. He calls on God to be faithful to his promise, not because these people deserved him to be patient with them, but that he would be faithful to his promise that he had made with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. God does relent and he gives the people what they want, but they do not enter the land. This generation is actually sentenced to wander in the desert for 40 years. Only their children and Joshua and Caleb will enter the promised land. It's amazing, really, when you think about it. That's why two senses had to be taken in this book. One was upon the original generation, the next was the new generation that was gonna actually be the ones who go into the land. God takes seriously these things. 
One would think that this would have woken up the people, but there was still a group of Levites that rose up against Moses and Aaron. And God opened up the ground on them and he consumed them with fire on all those who were in opposition to Moses and Aaron. Because ultimately they were in opposition to God. That's what matters. Chapters 20 through 21 is their journey to the plains of Moab. Moab. The complaint game starts again, believe it or not. This is where God tells Moses to speak to a rock and bring out water for all the people. But Moses doesn't do this God's way. You remember this? He hits the rock twice and lashes out with his tongue at the people. Moses, in essence, is putting himself in God's place as the one who brings water out of the rock instead of God. God was not pleased with this, and he actually tells Moses that he will not enter the promised land he took this. God takes these things seriously. He gets the same disqualification as the first generation that were dying within the desert. You might think in your mind, that doesn't seem fair. That's what happened. They rebel again. They complain again, rebel again. Speak evil of Moses, Aaron, and all this. And God brings snakes to bite the people. Moses intercedes for them again. And God tells him to make a bronze snake. Remember this? On a pole. Whoever looks to it will be healed. There's some gospel foreshadowing. We know this because in John chapter 3, John actually highlights this reality. You can check it out later, but he speaks of this very moment. Just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent, this is what John said. Even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up. It's one story. In chapters 22 through 36 covers their time in the plains of Moab, which is right across from the Promised Land. The king of Moab is concerned about this huge group that had come into his territory. These Israelites. He hires Balaam, a pagan sorcerer, to pronounce curses on this people. Three times, Balaam finds that he cannot curse them, though. He can only bless them. Not only that, Balaam receives a vision of a coming one. <laughs> Who do you think this is? That would rise up out of Jacob and rule the nations. Another census is taken of the wilderness Israelites. This is the second generation here now. And the remainder of the book is centered around preparation to go into the promised land. There were some lands conquered in this period and even some tribes beginning to settle in some of these places. There's in a nutshell some of the introduction to the background that we have. Number two, we'll talk about typology. Here's something to keep your eyes on as we go through the book of Numbers. Typology is the idea of seeing things as types of something greater in the Christian faith and walk. Israel being a type of God's chosen people. Their bondage in Egypt, their bondage in Egypt is a picture of our bondage to sin. Pharaoh can be viewed as a picture of Satan. Who wants to keep people in bondage. Remember in Romans chapter 9. He highlights something that he had said all the way back in Exodus. Paul highlights this. He says for this purpose. He told Pharaoh I raise you up. That I may show you my glory in you. 
You may wonder in your mind, why would God create Satan? Who's going to wreak all the havoc that's been had, right? Here would be a great answer. So that God may show his mighty power through him. And ultimately defeat him. It's not even close. It's part of his plan. It's part of his purpose. For this reason I raised you up, he said to Pharaoh. That I may show my power in you. That all of Egypt would know you are the Lord. That God is the Lord. It was twofold. God was going to show his judgment, reveal his power through his judgment. And he was also going to reveal his power through his mercy and grace upon his people and their deliverance. It's always twofold. It's the way God has designed it. The exodus of the people out of Egypt can be a picture of us being released from sin. And set free to worship the Lord. You remember the, the emphasis was always that Moses said, let my people go so that they may go and worship me. The Red Sea can be a picture of water baptism. Following the great deliverance from Egypt, that which we were in bondage to. Now some have tried to say, here's something to think about here right now. We can discuss this. Some have tried to say that the promised land is a type of heaven. However, when they entered into the promised land eventually, you know what they still had? Battles. They still had wars. They still had things. They still had things that were happening within them. I don't believe that is the proper view of the promised land. Think about this. Moses never entered into the land. So that, that was a type of heaven. Moses didn't make it. I don't believe it is. Could it be better understood as the rest God intends for his people that are his as they walk and live by his spirit? Hebrews chapter 4 talks about this rest that is entered into by his spirit. Wilderness wanderings are meant to teach us the ways of God. So many different instances within scripture. That's what happened for these people. Even though they continued to wander into these places. Based on whether we trust and walk in obedience to Christ. Will determine whether we grow in maturity by the spirit. Or we continue in severe malnutrition. And are always stunted in our growth. Think about this. I think this is so significant. Jesus. Jesus. After he was baptized. Do you remember this? After the Holy Spirit had descended upon him. That's how John the Baptist was going to know that this was the Christ. The one that you see the Holy Spirit descending upon. It's going to affirm it for him. He's led, it says, by the Spirit into the wilderness. Into the desert. Where he is tempted. He is fasting and praying. He's being tempted by the devil. We have some of the temptations. That Satan was bringing his way. He was victorious over all of them. I love that. I love that reality. Because listen friends. Christ is victorious over every area where you and I are not. Adam and Eve faced temptation. They fell. Jesus Christ the greater Adam came onto the scene. The second Adam. The greater Adam comes onto the scene. Seen, and he's tempted in every way that you and I are tempted, only without sin. He triumphed over it all. 
And then it says he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's significant, friends. That's not just there for pretty language. He, the Holy Spirit, he's baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, leads him out into the wilderness. And then he returns. In, in the midst of trials, in the midst of hardships, in the midst of everything, he returns in the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the work that God had set out for him to accomplish. Number three in your handout, instruction. Why should we study this? I guess that would be important to know, right? Why should we study? Why should we do a whole series? Well, eventually, I would like to. I don't, it's, I don't, Jesus is probably going to come back before we get through the whole Old Testament. But we want to continue going back to the Old Testament and highlighting these things. Once again, we believe the Bible is one story, and we need to look at it through this lens. Titled The Gospel in Numbers. How is the gospel made known to us in the book of Numbers so that we can see these things are important. You can't write these things off. You can't separate yourself from these things. God wants us to know these things. God has given us a gift in these things. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. We're going to close with this here today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. Here's what he says. In verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they, for they drink drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. What is he saying? Christ was in the Old Testament. Pre-incarnate, but Christ was in the Old Testament. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. Now he gets into the nitty-gritty of why we have these things, why we should dive into these things. They have so much application for our lives today. All of the things that Christ accomplished, that foreshadowed Christ, that point to Christ, the glories of the gospel of everything that Jesus Christ fulfilled when he came in his incarnation to this earth and lived the perfect life we could never live, died the death every single one of us deserves, rose again from the grave, conquering sin and death, so that whoever believes in him, repents of their sins, and trusts fully in Christ and Christ alone, will never perish but have everlasting life. He's written these things so that we would have an example. They should affect our lives if we apply them to our lives. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things. Did you know that the book of Numbers was written? <laughs> that we can read it right here in 2024 and be able to say we should not lust after evil things. It's the kind of application that it has. As they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them, idol worshipers. As it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. We could spend a whole long time even just on that passage right there. We don't have time right now. Nor let us commit sexual immorality. 
as some of them did in one day, 23,000 fell. Under the discipline of God. Like I said before, we don't know how many of those were had faith in Christ. Right? We know Moses didn't make it in the promised land. He had faith. So the, the end result is not to see this as, as, as people who are then cast into outer darkness. But this was a judgment and a discipline that were put on these people. Because of rebellion against God's ways. 23,000 of them fell. Nor let us tempt Christ. Some of your translation will say test Christ. As some of them also tempted or tested Christ and were destroyed by the serpents. That was that passage that we looked at. That's in uh, Numbers 21. Nor complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. That they were written for our admonition. Here's what Paul is saying. There's application here, friends. Upon us, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Us, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Here's what you have in the book of Numbers. You have people rebelling against the covenant that God had made with them. You have people wandering. You have people going after the things that they were called to not go after and suffered severely because of it. Severely. And we shouldn't expect any different. But you want to know what else continues to shine through? God's in the midst of it all, faithful to his covenant, faithful to his plan, faithful to his people, faithful to his purposes. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with that temptation, will also make the way of escape, not there's several, no, there's the way of escape. There's the way of escape. It's found in Christ, in Christ alone. Help me out, church. Jesus said, I am the, I am the, I am the, there's the way of escape. It's found in Christ, in Christ alone. Where's your gaze? Where's your eyes? Where are you looking to? But with the temptation, we'll also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Doesn't say it's going to go away. That word can literally be translated endure. Endure it. God wants us to take these warnings and take them as warnings. The rebellion of the people within the Old Testament there were severe consequences that came from that. Don't tread lightly upon these things. 
Don't allow ourselves to give ourselves once again to the things that maybe we have been once entangled in in the past. Don't give them that what we studied in the book of 1 Peter. Men and women that went through 1 and 2 Peter last year. Right? To entangle ourselves once again in the things that he has set us free from. We need to take those things seriously. Use the examples given to us in the Old Testament. God does take these things seriously. But continue to keep our eyes focused on the way, the truth, and the life. Understanding he and he alone is faithful in it all. May we be a people who take his word seriously and apply it to our lives. You remember the example of someone who's building their house in a rock and someone who's building their house in the sand. The person that's building their house on a rock, Jesus gave this parable. He said the person that's building their house on the rock is someone who hears the word of God and help me out, church. Obeys it. Does it. Someone who is building their house in the sand is someone who hears the word of God, okay? But what? Doesn't do it. Doesn't apply it. The someone who builds their house in the sand. The storms of life come. They hit both foundations, don't they? They hit both foundations. But the one that's going to be left standing when it's all said and done is one whose foundation is the rock, Jesus Christ. Still standing when it's all said and done. Because they are those who heard the word of God and didn't. They had a heart to do it. Not perfectly. Right? We know. We are just praying about it. I was just praying about this with the worship team here just this morning, right before the worship team took communion here this morning. We're just praying about this reality that we, will, we, we see through a dimly lit glass. We see through it real dimly right now. But the hope is that we were going to see Jesus. And when we see him, we're going to be like him. Because we're going to see him as he is. What should we do right now? What should we do right now? We should continue to ask God to give us clear vision as we look through the glass. So that we may continue to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. So this transformation just continues to happen all throughout our time here on this earth. All for his honor. All for his glory. And then there's coming a day when you and I will see him. And scripture tells us we're going to be like him. We're not going to be God. But we're going to be like him. We're going to be like him in purity. We're going to be like him in holiness. Because we're going to see him as he is. This is the will of God for our lives, our sanctification. We want to take these things seriously now through the well of the gospel of what he has accomplished for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, our life. Thank you for this work that you're doing. Accomplish your plans, your purposes within our life. Be with us as we dive into the book of Numbers, Lord. Let your truth resonate in our hearts. Let it continue to transform us. Cause it to make us more like you, Jesus. May we see the glories of the gospel through it all. Putting our hope and our confidence 
and no work of the flesh, but everything in Christ's finished work and the work of his spirit that's continued to work within us. 